welcome back to Nature Revisited and Take Me to the River. This is part two in the stream. I hope you enjoy it. We are today on Grant Brook and where I'm standing is less than a mile from my house. Um, Grant Brook is a, a freestone stream, which means it's you can hear it burbling along. There's lots of loose rocks and cobbles and boulders, and the stream drops uh, quite a few feet from way up on, starts on Smarts Mountain and flows all the way down to the Connecticut River. And the section where I am right now is only about 10 yards wide, I'd say. Um, and I could wade across it virtually anywhere. There's probably a few places that would go up to my waist. I am uh, hoping that I will find a, a brook trout in this stream. We're hoping to fool one with a fly. So I have a floating line set up on a small three-weight rod, which is a light, very light rod, eight and a half feet long. In fly fishing, the weight of the line is what carries the fly out. The fly itself is virtually weightless, or nearly so, and the line that it's tied to, called the leader, and then there's extra line we put on, which we call tippet, is as thin as a hair, and hopefully invisible to the fish. And so, when I'm casting the rod, I'm throwing the weight of the line, and the line is carrying the weightless leader and fly with it. And the trick is, obviously, to control the line so that I can make the fly go where I want it to go. So I want to imitate the nymph, which is a staple food for trout. And right now, I'm carefully tying on this super thin tippet material so that I can attach my nymph to this other fly and tying flies on requires patience, dexterity, decent eyesight or good glasses, one or the other. And I'm going to tie on this little beadhead pheasant tail nymph that I tied this morning. Now, while I'm tying this on, I have to ask the question, why am I out here? Well, I love fly fishing because it gets me out in nature. I love standing in a stream. I love actually being out here and hearing the water, feeling it run over my feet and my legs, and for some reason, I just find the sensation of standing in a stream to be one of my favorite things to do. Whether I'm fishing or not, when I'm out here, I see things that many people never see. Birds, bugs, lots of bugs. Um, and my job here as a fly fisher is to imitate things that fish like to eat. And so, in doing so, I'm participating in the ecology, which 
is one of the more interesting aspects. I'm actually trained as an ecologist. I'm an environmental scientist by training and career. So all the aspects of fly fishing, clean water, bugs, fish, forest habitat are all, all interesting to me. Then there's several different dimensions to fly fishing. There's understanding the trout and the bugs. There's getting out into nature. There's the actual skill of casting a fly rod, which is not easy, takes quite a bit of practice, but it can be done reasonably well in a day or two. Some days when I'm not catching fish, aiming for a particular place on the river and putting my fly there is satisfaction in itself. It's a skill that you try to perfect under different conditions, and sometimes that's the reward in itself. I've tied my fly on, I'm gonna wade into the river. Um, I'm gonna fish this pool down below me here. I'm standing at the head of a little riffle or kind of a rapids area. The water is moving pretty quick. It's crystal clear. Um, I can see bugs on the water. I can see a dragonflies working here. Um, when you see dragonflies, that's a good sign because dragonflies eat other bugs. And that means they're hunting for mayflies or caddisflies, which is the same food the trout want. The other adage in fly fishing is match the hatch. So when you get out here, you look for bugs that are on the water that the trout might be keying on because they quickly get conditioned to what's available. The trout's job in life is to determine whether something floating by in the stream is food. They don't want to spend any energy chasing things that are not food. So they quickly learn what's food and they key in on it. And that's what you're trying to imitate. So I'm gonna wade out. I'm wet wading and which means my feet are going to get wet even though I have wading boots on. And I'm putting my fly out into the stream, trying to drift it into places where trout would be hiding. And they're virtually invisible to me. Sometimes I'll see one, but they're so well camouflaged that I'm guessing where they are based on experience, trying to put my fly in the area where they'll be hiding. Now think about the world from a trout's perspective. It lives in the stream. It needs to protect, hide from predators. So it's gonna find a place where it can dodge under a rock or be otherwise safe. And it's looking for food that's gonna flow by in, this, in the current. So the trout is gonna to tend to be someplace near where the food flowing by will be concentrated. Oop, I, just saw, I just saw a trout go after my, my fly. So I know that there is a trout under that rock out there. And now the question is, can I entice him to take my fly? Because he just came out and looked at it and didn't take it. So I assume he wasn't fooled by the fly pattern that I offered him. Whoop. 
Yes, he was, because he just tried it again, and I missed him. So he's hiding under a rock, and I'm not going to get him to take this fly, so I'm going to have to change flies to give him something else to look at, because he's already learned that what I put out there is not really food. Now, I have two choices now, actually. I know there's a trout there, and I know he wanted to eat this fly. So I could go somewhere else and see if there's a trout that wants to use, eat this same fly pattern. Or I can switch patterns to see if I can use something different to fool this same trout. And I'm going to choose to change fly patterns. One thing that fly fishing has taught me is patience. And sometimes I will tie on five or six or 10 different fly patterns. Patiently trying one pattern after another is one aspect of fly fishing. There's a lot of Zen dimensions to fly fishing, being one with nature, being focused on the moment. Um, when you're fly fishing, another thing I love about it is you, you really don't think about much else. You are completely absorbed in the stream, the bugs, trying to make yourself one with the trout. The other aspect, which I haven't dealt with yet, thankfully, is tangles. You're dealing with fly line, there's overhanging branches, there are sometimes wind, many ways. So I just cast my, my fly out there, a new fly. This is called a wood special, and I'm going to retrieve it and see if this guy will go for it. So tangles are part of this part of the game, and you just have to be patient with that. And the first thing you do when you think your line is tangled is you stop, take a deep breath, and try not to make it worse. And I'm casting this streamer fly out into the current, getting it to drift down where I know that trout is hiding. I'm trying to get him to come out and take my, take my fly, which is not working. I got him to take a nymph, but didn't hook him. I tried a streamer. So I'm in a small stream where I don't have a lot of room to make big, loopy casts in the air. So I use what's called a roll cast. And knowing how physics works and using the weight of the line to your advantage is part of the skill of getting your fly line to go where you want it to go. And he is completely ignoring this fly. Right now, I've just put a, another type of nymph on my line where I'm using a strike indicator, which is like a little bobber, it's a little orange ball but it's a way of getting your fly down to the fish 
and see whether or not it comes out to take it. So I'm going to try this. Sometimes I wonder myself why I'm out here bothering these poor fish. I don't usually even keep them to eat, which some people find unusual. I love to let them go and watch them swim away as much as I like to catch them. And again, that's, I guess, part of my own joy in feeling like for a few moments I participated in this trout's existence here in this beautiful setting with clean water, the, just the right conditions where trout can survive. So that's, part of this is a celebration, it's, for me, it's a celebration of a clean environment that when I'm out chasing after brook trout, I'm monitoring the quality of our environment. And I just had a strike at my mayfly imitation here and I missed him. And now he may not come back to it because he is on to me. So fly fishing for me is a celebration of the best parts of nature. I love being on the water. I'm also a birder. So one of the nice side benefits of being out here is that I get to see cool birds in places where I wouldn't otherwise find myself if I weren't fly fishing. I'm tying on another fly. I'm trying this elk hair caddis that I tied earlier and hoping that since I got a response on the mayfly, but he wouldn't take it that if I send down a caddisfly imitation, it will similarly excite this fish and let him go for my fly. He did it and I got him. Da 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 da, I got the fish. So you do the little happy dance when you get them on. Of course, I don't have him to my net yet. He's swimming. This is a pretty good sized fish. As you can see, it took me several different flies to get this guy to take, take it with gusto. And I'm gonna take my net here. I got him in the net. This is a beautiful brook trout. I'm gonna keep them wet. There's a whole movement in fishing that you wanna make sure the fish never dr gets dry or stays out of the water if you're gonna release him. We can admire him from, from the net in the water so he can still breathe. But you can see he's got these beautiful red spots inside a circle of pale blue. The bottom has these orange fins. Remember I was telling you how, how the um, orange in the fly attracts? This is probably a wild trout. Very well could be. So we're gonna let him go. You ready to go? Yeah, you seen enough? Isn't it beautiful? Oh, oh buddy. I'll measure him too. So my hands are nine inches wing to wing. Nine inches exactly. That's a nice fish. Off he goes. To battle another day. So this is a elk hair caddis that I put out there and I drifted it down right in front of that rock. I'm guessing he's the only fish down there. 
But sometimes I've pulled three or four out of the same hole. They'll just, there'll be three or four fish sitting there. Sometimes you get the little ones first and they come out more aggressive. And after you catch two or three of those, then the, one of the big ones will finally go, all right, I'll try. But you can sort of see the joy in yeah. what just happened there was, yeah. was I found a fish. The, the elk hair caddis is the one that he took with more gusto. And then, then the cool part is that you are literally connected to this yeah. being. I find I don't have a moral problem with coming out here, catching a fish, spending a few moments communing with it in my hand and letting it go to live another day. That to me seems perfectly natural. Part of what the, the experience is for yes. me is, is there's a little bit of zen to it. It's, a, it's an excuse to come out here. For me, this is a celebration. When, when I'm out there, I can feel like I'm doing basically the same thing that my grandfather would have done in the 1890s. So let's talk about your book. What's the title? It's called Storied Waters. Part of the premise of the book is fishing is also a very literary sport. Uh, a lot of writing, very excellent writing about fly fishing, of the relationship that people have to nature and the process of fly fishing and the meditative aspects of it and the skills that, that you need to develop to do it well. So it's, it's tended to create a, a wide body of literature, stories, how-to books. So when we wrote our first book, the con when I wrote our first book, The Confluence, we um, wanted to get permission to reprint a passage um, called Testament of a Fisherman in our book. So Traver wrote this passage. I had to get permission to reprint it in our book. And I contacted the, the family who owned the copyright, and I started an email relationship with his daughter, Grace, who's in her 70s. And she gave us permission, and I sent her a copy of the book. And then I ultimately got an invitation to come fish at her dad's um, camp and pond, which is famously secret in many of his stories. In his stories, he calls it Frenchman's Pond um, because that's not its real name. And uh, so I thought, I have to do this. I have to go there. This is really too cool to be able to go and fish in a place that you only read about in stories. And so I came up with the idea, well, if I'm going to get there, um, I ought to fish my way there and back. And while I'm doing that, maybe there's other places in literature that I've read about that I could go there also. So I ended up stringing together a six-week trip from Maine to Wisconsin and the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And I fished my way there and back in six weeks, um, going to many famous rivers and writing about the rivers, the fishing, and the writers who made these places famous. So that's why it's called Storied Waters, was I was choosing rivers that have been written about and are famous because of their place in literature. Storied Waters, is, it's, a, it's a literary journey, and it's also a physical journey. And I, start at Walden Pond. I've never found conclusive evidence that Thoreau ever fly fished, but he did fish and he was very interested in nature. And I got to imagine he tried it at least once. Hemingway wrote 
um, one of the most famous fly fishing stories called A, a Big Two-Hearted River. The story is a wonderful, classic Hemingway story. And so I went and fished the river that he actually, that Hemingway actually fished. There's a guy named Jim Harrison wrote a book that took place on the Upper Peninsula. He was a fly fisher. I fished in the Yellow Dog River where this guy went fishing. And then I fished on the Osable River in Michigan. So you get the idea. Then I went over to the Adirondacks. Um, then I went back through Vermont, fished my way through Vermont up to the Northeast Kingdom. Another one of my favorite writers is Howard Frank Mosher. And uh, worked my way across New Hampshire. John Irving wrote Last Night in Twisted River. Went over to Maine. Louise Dickinson Rich wrote We Took to the Woods. She lived on the Rapid River in Maine. And then I wrapped up in, in the Maine woods, also Thoreau. And the book has also got my photography in, in there. So when is the book due out? October 2019. And I assume people can contact you on your website? Which is watchyourbackcast.com. Publisher is Stackpole Books. They actually have it already on there. You can pre-order it. I hope you enjoyed both parts of this edition of Nature Revisited and that you will share this podcast with friends and family. Nature Revisited is produced by Stefan Van Norden and Charles Kagan. And you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And I hope you will join us next time when we will be talking with Joel Fry from Bartram's Garden. And as always, remember, we are nature.